We're going to go over a couple topics that I didn't get to over the last few weeks that I said I was going to. So by way of wrap-up, we're going to hit developing a child of character and then helping a child find their calling. Are there any questions or uh, comments, anything uh, from the previous lessons that we should talk about before we jump into this stuff, the new material? Were you successful in being able to get the PowerPoints up there, Randy? Okay. Well, we can work from our notes, and then if you get the charts up, that that's fine. Uh, so looking at the first, uh, the, the developing the child of character, what I tried to do, you, you could spend an entire uh, course on character, but what I've tried to do is summarize a few of what I think are important things to focus on with children as a, as we go through and guide them and train them and instruct them. And a few attributes that, that jump out to me, which I would encourage. And the first one that comes to mind is really helping or inculcating in them an attitude of gratitude. And thank, thankfulness is not something that just comes naturally to us. It's something that has to be worked at. It's, it's, it's an awareness that we need to, to develop. And what I've tried to do is at least put one simple verse that probably most folks are familiar with uh, underneath each one of these topics if, if you or these items. If you haven't run into these verses before or you haven't gone through them with your kids, then it's a verse that you could go through. It would be nice if at least one for each one of these areas that you feel is important in the area of character that there's kind of a governing verse, and I've put down some of the governing verses that we have in our household. And so the first one, which is well known, is give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And what we're trying to do is encourage children to develop an appreciation and a thankfulness and a thankful heart in all circumstances. And frankly, where we are today, we know, is, is what we're fighting against. The trend is really a trend of entitlement. Um, we ourselves are struggling with that. We d- live in an age where we generally believe that we're entitled to more than our parents had and we're entitled to have it right out of the gates more than our parents had. And that's the gross overgeneralization, of course, but you know, you, you go in and, and, and kids expect that they're just going to move into the homes that their parents had when they're in their 20s. And uh, kids just expect that there's going to be college is going to be paid for and there's just kind of an attitude that's been inculcated by society of entitlement and that's what we need to break through in terms of uh, putting within and instilling within the, the hearts of the children a real sense of thankfulness and so good morning there's there's some material on the back there lesson six um, if you like mm-hmm. And so we, we need to, uh, first of all, give them some perspective. And what I mean by this is not just, you know, around the table talking about people starving in Africa, although that, that, that could be something, but really give people a sense of appreciation for what it is, not only materially, but spiritually and the liberty that we have uh, been blessed with that many times we just assume. And so thinking about something as simple as we nominally, I'm not going to say everybody in America, but 
normally don't ever have to think twice about where meals come from. We very rarely worry about things like health. I mean, we, all of us struggle with things like health, but, but, but normally kids do not grow up in those circumstances. And giving them a sense of appreciation for the normal that we assume being something that should be deeply appreciated. And the material blessings that we provide to our children, really giving them a sense of appreciation for them. And that starts with us. It starts with us, a sense of appreciation for the things that we are blessed with, both materially and spiritually, to God himself. So in every one of these, what you're going to see is me encouraging us to show and demonstrate the attitude that we're trying to ask the kids to develop within their own character. So Thanksgiving is is a biggie, and it goes a long ways. And simple things like encouraging them to and reading to them and praying through things like Voice of the Martyrs or a sense of history uh, and a real appreciation for what people have done and what people continue to go through vis-a-vis where we are in in our society uh, and just the normal kinds of struggles that many people have without a guilt trip because that's not what I'm encouraging, but really developing that sense of appreciation and, and gratitude to God. So that's, that's the first one actually on my list. My, the second one is, and stop me at any time, I'm just going to otherwise just ramble to 9.50 or so, but my second one is, is to encourage kids to look beyond themselves. And this, again, is not something that we, we normally or naturally experience. We are, by definition, people who think a lot about ourselves, and that's what the natural way of things are, and it's not... You know, you have to fight against entropy in order for us to consider looking outside of our world. And so, again, in Philippians 2.4, very simple verse that kids can know, each one of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And if you have, for example, gone to a party or just had a conversation with people, and you'll ask them questions, and I'm guilty of this as, as much as anyone, uh, so... I have a lot to learn in this area as well, but you ask them some questions about themselves, and then pretty soon you find out that they're very happy to talk about themselves, but they'll never ever ask a question about you, or they'll never respond even with the, well, what about you? Uh, and one thing that is very easy to do with kids, but and you can start at a very young age, is ask them to start thinking about questions that they can ask other people when they're carrying on conversations and teaching them to investigate or to think about other people's lives, not simply to be experts at talking about themselves, which we all are. We're all very good at that for the most part. But looking outside of ourselves at the interests of others as well. And so that, that, that is a, a, another consideration, to look beyond themselves, to look outside their own area or their own sphere to begin to, to develop a worldview and appreciation that goes well beyond the interests of, of, of individuals, of, of themselves. Um, the third one that I have is the whole area of the tongue. And the verse that we use is Ephesians 4.29. I'm sure familiar to, to most of you. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only that which is uh, helpful for building others up according to their needs so that it may benefit those who listen. 
And the reason that I chose that this passage, and there's all kinds of passages about the tongue. James talks about the tongue. Proverbs is replete of, uh, with verses about the tongue. But the reason that I use this as kind of our, our passage is the word unwholesome talk or the phrase unwholesome talk. And the reason that I use, th- that I like that phrase is because unwholesome talk has more to do with the tongue than just cursing. I mean, when we think about training our children with regard to the tongue many of the times because we live in a pretty profane age and it's it's very easy to develop bad habits in terms of swearing and 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 profanity and so we normally tune right into the whole profanity thing but the unwholesome talk is much much more uh, than profanity unwholesome talk is contrasted with the uh, is basically aligned in this passage with anything that is not building others up according to their interest or their needs. So in other in other words, unwholesome talk can involve slander, it can involve malice, it can involve gossip, it can involve any area which basically is tearing others down as opposed to building them up. There, there's some I'm sorry guys, there's some handouts there over there if you want to follow along. If not, just got it up on the screen. Lesson six. And so it's much deeper than just simply profanity. And when we start peeling this onion layer back, the question is, what are kids seeing and what are they participating in? When, for example, we smile to some people's face and we say polite things to them and then back behind you know, the, the enclave of the house, we are laughing at them or we're mocking them or we're ridiculing them. And we, the Cohees, have had a lot of household conversations about this because mom and dad will stand up and say, you know, this is an area where where our humor lies. We like to mock. We like to make fun. We like to be sarcastic. And yet, and so we ask our kids to help keep us accountable as we also help them be accountable to the way in which we speak about other people, particularly when other people are not present. Now, this is what Jerry Bridges would call a respectable sin. You know, it's not one of those sins you get booted out of the church for. It's one of those sins that we tend to tolerate and just excuse the tongue, the sins of the tongue. Uh, you know, gossip in the name of prayer requests. Uh, you know, we, you know, we, we really need to pray for Susie because. She's really having a hard time losing weight after her pregnancy. You know, I mean, whatever. I mean, it, just silly kinds of things that we that we will joke about. Or, or and 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 so the the whole thing about controlling the tongue is much much deeper than profanity. It's much much deeper than just careless speaking or reckless words or hurtful speech. But it goes into you know really out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks. And so all of those vices uh, need to be considered and, and, and dealt with. And it's an area where we can benefit from encouraging our children to help us be accountable as well, like I said, because all of us, I think, struggle in this area. The fourth one that I've listed is to control their thoughts. And before I talk about things like controlling their bodies, uh, what I'm encouraging folks to do is to encourage their children to work in their thought life. And there's a very simple verse that talks about taking captive every thought 
and making an obedient to Christ in 2 Corinthians 10.5. And there, there's also a very famous passage in, in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and following um, that talk about uh, that, that talk about the mind, and it talks about training up and not being conformed uh, any longer, but rather transformed by the renewing of the mind. And the renewing of the mind along with the heart is the beginning of the renewing of behavior. And we talked about, you know, from day one in this class that we're not about trying to transform behavior, but we're about trans- trying to seek to God, seek God's transformation of the heart from which behavior spawns. And so how we control our thoughts, which translates to things that we say and things that we do, and where we allow our minds to wander. And it's not just in the area of visual images or things that are salacious or that sort of thing, but are we intentional and are we teaching our children to be intentional about thinking about uh, Philippians 4.8, that which is noble, that which is excellent, that which is praiseworthy. Those things think upon those things. And do we have a, are we disciplined in terms of the way in which we think and encourage our children to think about um, in, in their thought life? Because many times, being behavior-oriented, we don't encourage our children to think about what they think. And therefore, you know, we, we focus a lot on simply on the things that, that, that they do. Um, the next one that I, I cite is to humbly accept correction. And there's two words in here that are important. One is humility, and the other is correction. And I kind of bound them together. And the, the, the verse that we use a lot in our household is, the wise in heart accept commands, but a chattering fool comes to ruin. And in other words, first of all, there has to be an attitude of humility and a willingness to think of others above ourselves. The offshoot, or one of the offshoots of that, is our willingness to accept correction. And even as the Proverbs talks about, to delight in correction, which is not something that we naturally do. Children need to learn that the wise in heart accept commands because naturally what we want to do is be defensive and we want to justify ourselves and we want to explain why it was that we really aren't guilty of the things that we you know, are, are being confronted with. But many times we have to say to our kids and uh, parents have to say to their children, remember, we are instructing you and in training you in righteousness for your good and the wise in heart accept commands. And it's nice to be able to have a proverb or two or a piece of scripture to be able to go back to. The second one on this page is to do right when no one is looking. And you know that's kind of the, the, the definition of integrity, or at least a definition of integrity, is when no one is looking, what are you doing? And if we want to encourage our children to be uh, men and women of honor and uh, to be able to be people who are disciplined and controlled and people when, for example, they're in the hotel room on the business trip and no one knows what's going on and we want them to be about doing the right thing, it starts when they're young, to be people of integrity. And the Bible says the man of integrity walks securely, but he who takes crooked paths will be found out. And so what we're trying to encourage children to do is not simply perform, We're not trying to put a performance-based system into place, 
We're trying to encourage them to realize that God is always present. We are always before an audience of one. We are always standing before the face of God and before the heart of God. And when no one else humanly is looking, God, our master, is still looking. And so a person of integrity is a person who is consistent in their behavior even when they don't believe that there's going to be any repercussions or human implications associated with it. The, um, the next one that I wrote down is to work hard and to work gladly. And this is a big deal, um, I think, in the area of character. Uh, we simply live in an age where we don't encourage kids to work very hard, by and large. Now, that's an overstatement overgeneralization. There are always exceptions to the rule. There are many kids who do work very hard. But as a rule, as we've continuously devolved into a more and more recreational and entertainment-based society, the work, basically, that we are expecting our children to do nowadays tend to be centered around sports. We, We say, how is Johnny working? And we say, well, Johnny's working really hard at playing soccer. Okay, now that's great. There's nothing wrong with that, and you can learn a lot of things through sports. But that's not the work that I'm speaking of. Um, We need to really encourage and not be afraid to encourage our children to work hard and to work gladly. And you take it in in bite-sized steps, but I'm I'm not just saying always, you know, you can start with doing the chores and helping mom and mowing the grass and those kinds of things, but what you're really trying to do by the time they start getting into the cold frame, as we talked about last week, is being able to work at something that really uniquely makes a difference for them. Um, the mission trips are great, being, but if the mission trips are just to go over and kind of get an experience about how someone else lives in a different culture, that's probably, you know, it, it needs to be associated with something that is really working that's really about work. And we tend to, I don't know about you, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems that we almost tend to be afraid or feel self-conscious or guilty about asking our kids to work hard. It's kind of like we we don't really want to do that because that would hurt them. But the Bible really says the opposite is true. If we want to have an insulated, insecure, I'll use the word namby-pamby kind of child that doesn't really ever ever, ever be able to get outside of um, the, the, the house. It's because, in many cases, it is because the child simply does not learn how to work hard. And the second part, to work gladly. Um, and here, this illustration I gave last week of, of, of our middle child when he was throwing it, pouting and crying and going on and on about, about the uh, mowing the lawn... And I told him to go back in the house, and I told him to go back and, and pray about it and to get his attitude right because I could have kicked him and conjoled him and, you know, forced him and all that into into mowing the lawn. But I don't want our children learning just to work begrudgingly. Now, I'm not encouraging workaholism, uh, but that tends not to be the problem. Um, workaholism, you know, amongst children is not typically the issue. And I'm not also encouraging people, you know, the very few people that thank God it's Monday. But there is this tendency of laziness which needs to be overcome. And so the scripture verse we use is Colossians 3.24. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as if working for the Lord and not for men. 
And what we're encouraging the children to understand is, is that you're not ultimately working for your employer. You're not ultimately working for your parents. You're not ultimately working for someone else. You're ultimately working for the Lord. And your work is a demonstration, in part, of your thanksgiving. We were created to work. It's part of God's economy. It's the way in which he structured things. And it is a way in which we can respond to God for the abilities that he's given us. So many times, you know, I mentioned this is just a small thing, but I keep talking about it. Just don't want you to think that we think it's some huge issue. Like we, you know, we're the only people practically on the block who do our own stuff around the house. Um, and, and, and we talk about that. And we talk about it with the kids and we talk about why we do it with the kids and first of all, in my opinion, and I don't mean to offend anyone who's in a different situation than we are, I mean, we can afford to go out with or outsource it all. We can more than afford it. That's not the point. Um, it sets to me a bad uh, statement when you've got people coming in, cleaning your house, people going, you know, going around, mowing your yard, doing your pool, you know, just the basics. You're outsourcing everything in your life so that, and I know there are many people who are not in this situation, but we can live more recreationally. To me, that's not a good example to set. That that may just be lame. You may have your different pet peeve. That's okay. I'd stand to be, you know, not to make that a, an absolute statement. But we talk about the kids to the kids about this, and we say we're not doing it to have the nicest yard in the in the in the neighborhood. We're not doing it to show up the people across the street. We're not doing it for any of those things. The reason why we do stuff and the reason why we go out and work in humid July days and sweat and do you know stuff that nobody really likes doing, particularly in Florida, is because it is a way in which we can say, thank you, God, for the abilities that you've given us. Now, if I was wheelchair-bound and I couldn't do it, or if I was incapacitated or if the kids were incapacitated and we couldn't, so be it. You know, God would provide. But the fact of the matter is we can. You know, we're healthy, strong, capable people. And a way in which we can demonstrate a simple statement of thanksgiving is to work in certain areas and to work hard and demonstrate that to the glory of God. And so, you know, whatever your thing is, it doesn't have to be the yard or whatever, whatever your, your thing is, the, 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 the key is to encourage children to learn to work hard. It is the antithesis of the spring break mentality that we have with college kids going off with signs saying spending our parents' money. Because I don't care how much money you have. It doesn't really matter. That's not the point. The point is what kind of attitude are we fostering within children where you just have this attitude of entitlement that daddy's just going to pay for it all. It does not you know, compute, I guess I should say, with what I think is a biblical mandate toward the way which, in which we approach work. So Plenty of time for recreation, that's great. Plenty of time for sports, that's great. Not, you know, not saying anything to the contrary, but teach the children to work very hard. And the last point on this one, sure, yeah, thank you. And I apologize for going on. Part of it is this monologue on the tape, but um, go ahead. Yeah, and, and the last thing only I, that I wanted to mention goes along with that, which was um, we were talking with some friends, um, you know, some time ago and really good uh, young men going on into seminary had graduated from the academy and, and and asked him really what some of the greatest things that they learned from their parents were and 
one comment and we thought he was joking at first was i learned a lot from watching my mom clean the house and we thought we thought well that's kind of weird but in reality as we've grown up and thought about it what he was saying was is that i learned the approach and the ethic towards the reason and the reason why we do what we do from our parents so other comments okay um the next chart a couple more and that is to persevere even when it hurts and i'm not I'm not talking about masochism or anything here but james is pretty clear perseverance has to finish its worth work so that we may be mature and complete and not lacking in anything and we understand this even in a worldly context that you know the whole no pain no gain unless you push through something and you work through some things and you persevere through things you don't get to where it is that you're you need to be and at the end of the day what we're trying to encourage children to do is to again fight against gravity fight against entropy and to persevere in areas where um there are obstacles and there could be a number of them and we don't have to list them they can be things that are inherent to the child if the child's working through a a handicap uh they can be things dealing in the environment they can be things dealing with the situation be they school be they sports you know whatever pursuits but the idea is to not be afraid to encourage them to persevere now that doesn't mean that they have to just do something that they just hate for example our middle guy has been has done very well in gymnastics for several years and last year just kind of hit a wall we encourage him to persevere through it and then let's see where you are at the end of the year kind of thing and frankly i'm at the point this is a sport thing i would be okay with whatever decision he came to um i'd probably be more okay with not having to spend thousands of dollars traveling around the state even but um the the reason why um but but it is an encouragement for him to learn that he does need to persevere even when it isn't always fun and there are going to be moments in life particularly in our work uh in our employment when we may have some been in love with something and it may have been something that was just great for a while and now it's getting kind of difficult and tiring and we have to push through it and we have to pray for god to persevere in us through it so we need to see and encourage our children to have experiences uh which will encourage perseverance because perseverance as roman says develops character and james teaches us that maturity and completeness comes through perseverance comments on this one yes 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 that's a good point right right there's a lot of perseverance in any relationship particularly marriage yeah very good the uh, the other one that i've put on the chart is to use their bodies honorably and this one you know is is the outward application of the one where we talked about controlling the mind and there's a little phrase that we use with our kids we didn't develop it but i just saw one time that it's better to control your brakes or use your brakes than uh, or i'm sorry you trust your steering then then use your brakes and in other words the mind is the steering um your mind is really where you are paying attention to putting your not putting yourselves into situations that you shouldn't be because by the time you get to the situation it's often very very difficult to put the brakes on but 
overarching, we need to be intentional about encouraging our children to use their bodies honorably. And the scripture verse there from First Thessalonians is, it's God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way which is holy and honorable. And um, I kind of wish, this is just a digression for a moment, but and, and Lord knows I have not been put in any kind of situation similar, but I almost wish this is the way that Tim Tebow had responded, if you're familiar with the, the whole thing that he recently went through when they were, you know, asking him a question that clearly was a setup. Um, you know, are you saving yourself for marriage? And it were really, and he said he anticipated the question and so that it wasn't surprising, and he answered the question forthrightly and then got his share of ridicule on the blogs and all that sort of thing for making the claim that he was holding to virginity. It really, it would have been nice um, if he could have pulled this verse out. Because what the verse is saying is, is that it is God's will for us to learn to control our bodies in a way in which is honorable. It's honorable. It's not something that we have to apologize for. It's not something that we need to, you know, scurry around, people laughing and so on and so forth. And people know this. And so if we can use the words holy and honorable, pleasing to God, and that's why, you know, I'm doing it. I'm not to second guess the, the fellow because, you know, I mean, clearly is put under severe scrutiny. Um, and, it, and it's probably good enough for him to just to be forthright. But I was thinking about how, how would I encourage a child of mine to answer that question. And I think I would encourage a child of mine to answer the question using First Thessalonians because it is what God has, has, has commanded us to do, to be sanctified and to avoid immorality. So uh, comments on this one? Pay attention to how you use your body, what you're reflecting. Good, good point. Thank you. Um, to seek wisdom above all human treasure. And this really gets to what are you going to pursue most. And it's interesting that Solomon got this right early in his life and wrong later in his life. Uh, because, of course, when he was asked what he would seek the most and, and what he prayed for uh, when he became a young king, he prayed for this. And it would be a great thing for us to be able to encourage our children to pray for it when they're young and when they're old. Because the Proverbs tell us, Blessed is the man who finds wisdom, the man who gains understanding, for she is more profitable than silver and yields better return than gold. She is more precious than rubies. Nothing can, uh, you desire can compare with her. Now, wisdom is, uh, has, has a moral compass to it. It's not only knowledge, but it's the right application of knowledge. It's the right application of knowledge according to the precepts which God has given us. And so when we pursue wisdom, wise choices, wise decisions, things that will, so to speak, not come back and, and haunt us, um, those things have dividends that pay in abundance year after year after year. And you only have to simply look at unwise choices made by, you know, by rich people, famous people, people that we might naturally be inclined to want to emulate in our society, and just show them. You know, we don't have to be arrogant about it. We don't have to be ungracious. 
but simply show the children, here, is the, here are the consequences of unwise choices. This person makes millions of dollars a year. This person, you know, is in this situation. I mean, sports figure after sports figure, you know, superstar after superstar. And again, we don't want to be encourage condescension or arrogance or self-righteousness. That's not the point. But the point is, what if the person had been in ability, in, in addition to the abilities that they've been given on the field, had the ability to be wise in the way in which they used the things that had been entrusted to them? And so, wisdom above all human treasure. Comment on this one? And the last two really deal with the God part of it, uh, because all of it is to the glory of God, but many of these things, you'll find them if you go to military school, right? You'll hear these kinds of words, or if you go to uh, various civic organizations. They're good character-building kinds of things which have just been passed down from generation to generation. So you'll hear about perseverance. You'll hear about hard work. You'll hear about wisdom. You'll hear about um, many of the things that we've talked about. But the difference here is is that what we're encouraging children to do is to live to God's glory and to be reflections of God's character. So living to God's glory, whether you eat, what you drink, whatsoever you do, to the glory of God. That means engaging God in part in your story every single day, asking him uh, he's already there, but, but so to speak, inviting him for our own benefit to be part of the story. So whether we're eating or whatever we're doing, whether we're, whatever we're thinking, we're doing it to the glory of God. That's the ultimate basis of character. And the last chart on this topic is to be a reflection of God's character. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And this is an excellent passage if the children don't know it for them to know and to know well. Um, because this talks about really the character of God in much richer detail than we've talked about. Are we lovers? Are we joyful? Are we at peace? Are we patient? Are we kind? Are we good to one another, faithful, gentle, and self-controlled? Because those are the attributes of God's character through his spirit. So as I thought about some elements of character, and they're not by any means comprehensive, these are the, these are the things that I thought about And I thought it might be nice if kids do not know these verses or if they haven't focused on these areas of character for them to be something to, you know, to meditate on during your devotionals, during your family worship, during your your time together with your children. And then the question becomes, and I think maybe we can open it up a little bit, is how do we develop and what experiences have you had in terms of developing these things as not just simply so that they know them or can rehearse the verses, but you're actually seeing these character elements take root in the children themselves. So what ideas do you have? What's worked well? And calling has been a word that's kind of been rediscovered recently. Uh, Some might argue it's now being overused a little bit, but um, I think it's an important biblical concept. When I was growing up, and and I'm kind of ashamed to say, as I've mentioned, went through military high school, went through the Air Force Academy, went through seven years of of, uh, the Air Force, and I remember seeing some some words in squadron officer school handbooks about, you know, this isn't just a a job, this is a, a, a calling. 
And that was such a foreign concept to me, honestly, even as a, a young Christian, a fairly young Christian at that time, that there would actually be a calling associated with it. To me, it was just, you know, frankly, it's where I landed, you know, went through a series of processes, and that's where God wanted me to be. But I didn't have any sense of, of calling about it. And really, when we have that perspective, um, we've really bought into something which uh, the world inculcates much more than, 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 than Scripture does. So I think it is important for them to understand a sense of calling. And it is help, important for them to understand that we can't discover a calling without discovering the one who calls. Okay, many times you'll hear people use the term calling, and sometimes they're not totally serious about it, or at least they haven't thought through the implications. Because the first implication is, is that if somebody's calling, you know, there's a caller, right? And so the question is, who's the caller? And the Bible talks about in Jeremiah 9, you know, let the wise man not boast in his wisdom or the strong man in his strength um, or the rich man in his riches, but let those who boast boast in this, that they know me and understand me, declares the Lord, or something like that. And so the, the key is, is that we have to know the caller to get in touch with the calling. Um, the other thing I'd like to point out is there really is one primary calling, and it's something that's important for the kids to understand, and it's something that we need to be praying for throughout their, their, uh, their formative years, and that is what we theologically call the effectual calling of God. And Peter talks about it, and you know, he says, you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation of people belonging to God. In other words, you're set apart that you might declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into a wonderful light. Now, it's not very hard to find these kinds of passages in Scripture. You can go to Ephesians, you can find them in, 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 all, in Romans, you can find them in all kinds of passages about God's calling but, or his drawing out of us out of darkness into light. And that's really the primary calling. The primary calling is us to be followers of Jesus and Nazareth, followers of Jesus Christ. That's the principal calling. And if there was any calling that we would be pursuing for our children uh, and praying about, it would be that God would draw them out of darkness into light. Because even as covenant children, even as children growing up with um, the benefits of um, the church and the benefits of the sacraments, there is still a calling that needs to happen and a regeneration that needs to occur within those children's lives. But so that's what I wanted to point out first and foremost, probably obvious. The second thing on the next chart is that life's callings really come in many forms. And sometimes we don't think about the other forms. We think about the vocation part. We think about the job. We say, what am I called to? Well, I'm called to the ministry or I'm called to, you know, be an excavator or I'm called to uh, dentistry and I'm called to, uh, you know, this or that. And even if we have a right view of calling, uh, that Mike talked about maybe four or five months ago when he talked about the work and the biblical view of work and that there isn't a sacred versus secular distinction. Um, even if we understand that, we sometimes limit ourselves in our understanding of calling to that one area. Well, there's a lot more. Uh, there are various elements of service, be they public service or community service or, uh, you know, outside of, I would say, outside of the church, there's ministry there's marriage, there's parenting, and those are distinctive calls. Now, you might say, well, it doesn't seem like a very unique call for us to be called as parents because, you know, there's a lot of parents out there, and that's true, right? But 
there's only one parent or one set of parents for your kids and my kids. And in that regard, we are uniquely and distinctly called as parents for those children that we are shepherding. So I, I'd like to just kind of open the, the, the aperture just a little bit in terms of the way in which we sometimes think about calling. Just to point out that in every area of calling, we ought to, on the next chart, help children understand, get a healthy self-assessment of their giftedness and passions. Calling will not always follow those, but calling normally does. God doesn't always or even usually call us to swim upstream. He does us the, 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 the good benefit of usually equipping us and giving us a delight in the area in which he calls us. Now, that doesn't mean that we're always going to love doing what we're, you know, what we're called to do 24-7. But there is usually an interest, and we have to have, and we went back to Lesson 3 about how we were helping studying our children, you know, a healthy self-assessment of giftedness and passions. Children need to understand that. And the passage that I gave you, and I forgot to put the citation down, but the, the passage that I gave you about the grace given is don't think more highly of yourself than you ought. Also, don't think more lowly of yourself than you ought. Have a healthy assessment of who you are and what it is that you're capable of being able to do and what it is that you're passionate about and what it is that you're gifted in and what it is that you really have a heart for. Because it's not always rocket science. The other area, next uh, chart that... that um, I wanted to, to point out is a couple of psalms and proverbs and passages that have really helped me in terms of my understanding. And I just say, in each area of calling, help children to delight, desire, commit, and strive. In other words, as Mike said before he we went on sabbatical, you know, sometimes we, we have this idea that Christianity has, you know, that, that we have to hate doing what we do in order for it to be good. And that's just not true. Um, the truth of the matter is, is that if we delight ourselves in the Lord, he will give us the desires of our heart. Now, the little catch in there is that the desires of our heart aren't always, when, you, when you're not delighting in the Lord, the desires can be different than when you're delighting in him. But when you're delighting in the Lord, when there's that sense of relationship and delight, our, our life generally follows the desires of our heart. And that's okay. It it's, doesn't have to be pain and agony, okay? But the key is to get yourself aligned with God and to teach our children the same. To commit to the Lord whatever we do and the plans will succeed. In other words, whatever we appro- the, the approach that we have to whatever we are called to do, we need to regularly commit it to the Lord and for the reasons that he's given us. And then I misused 1 Corinthians 9.24 a little bit, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stand up and say I wasn't, purely in, you know, pure theological integrity here, but I think the principle still holds. When he talks about the race that the runners are running and only one getting the prize and running in such a way as to get the prize, he's talking about it in a very salvific sense. He's talking about running a race of sanctification, running and pursuing. It's not a calling sense, but I think the principle still applies. Strive, okay, You can be called, you can be good, you can be blessed, you can have a passion for something, but you cannot assume that it's just going to happen, (laughs) right? There's going to be a striving and a running and a pursuing and a working associated with that thread of calling. And so that was the point that that I was trying to make out of the 1 Corinthians passage. And then another, uh, finally, another recommendation that, that Greg Harris gives 
which I think is a good one, is in each area of calling to the ability that we have, help children find what he calls a Solomon in that area. And the Solomon is what he calls an epitome of excellence in what you would like to do with your life or the child would like to do in their life. Now, we aren't always going to be able to meet all the Solomons. You know, if your calling is, is theater, you may or may not be able to meet the best and the brightest theater. I don't know. But you should be pursuing, we should be pursuing opportunities where there are people who are the epitome of excellence in a field. And particularly those who share our worldview and those, those who share God's calling. And helping them find those connections or what we would simply sometimes call networking uh, are important things. And so another consideration is trying to find that Solomon, the wise person, the epitome of excellence in the field that they're in and help them instruct and nurture the child in their calling. So I'm done talking. Um, thanks for letting me ramble on. Any comments on the area of, of calling or thoughts, things that you've seen as you've been encouraging your children along? You guys are the survivors of the summer. We lost a, either either the course is terrible or it's you know, we're in the middle of vacations or both. But the bottom line is a lot of folks who, you know, have been through, you know, you guys you guys are the, the have mastered the art of perseverance. So I appreciate that. But um, seriously, there is a, uh, I think there are some, uh, some uh, course, what do they call them, surveys that we, if you are inclined to, to fill out and give recommendations, and I will uh, take them to heart and, and try to do the best that I can in terms of anything in the future that I do. The other area, uh, you know, I want to I thank folks, and I said to Randy already, appreciate him flipping the charts throughout the whole course, and also appreciate the input. I know since I was, I was monologuing a lot because we were trying to record it and can't always get everybody's input, but I appreciate the feedback. And the, the last thing, again, because I said this in lesson one, but not necessarily everybody was here, is, you know, there is no formula to this stuff. Uh, there are principles, good biblical principles that we can apply, but there's no put the dollar twenty-five in and get the coke out. And so as you journey, even if somebody had this parenting thing down perfectly, uh, truth is they don't have it down perfectly for your kids. We are uniquely called and equipped to be able to parent our children. And so that's going to look differently for each one of us. And I would just encourage folks to be encouraged. And, you know, everyone's got stories of where we fell well short and where we struggled. And I think most folks here are veteran enough. Not everybody who's been in the class is veteran enough, but you, you all are to know that we just skin our knees a lot, but we just pray for grace in the process. So any other any comments or final questions, discussions before we pray and call it a day? I think we're doing First Peter next week. So come back if you want to do First Peter. Excellent, excellent book. Are we good? Okay. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you for sitting through it. Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you that the best example that we have of parenting is the way you parent us.
It's a, uh, it's a great uh, number of verses that you've given us. You've given us the Proverbs. You've given us parenting verses. But the best thing that we can learn is the way in which you have shepherded your people, uh, your covenant people, and how you have been gracious with us, how you've disciplined us when we've needed to be disciplined, how you've given uh, grace to us, how you've been patient with us, um, how you've chastened us, and how you've refined us so that we may be the people that you are calling us to be. So we thank you for your parenting, and we pray that we will be better parents for it. We pray that this class will enable those who are here and those who have been with us over the weeks to uh, bring some things away that will be helpful. And we just pray that uh, your love will go through and that cover over many of our sins, that our children may not remember those things from us, but that they may remember the biblical attributes that we're able to show. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.